loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, this is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Michelle Neff Hernandez. Michelle's the author of Different After You and is a 2021 CNN hero. She's also a gifted speaker and committed advocate for the widowed and bereaved. Her creation of Camp Widow and Soaring Spirits has brought her international acclaim. She regularly speaks to first responders, hospital workers, religious congregations, and diverse community organizations. She lives in Southern California, and you can find her at michelleneffhernandez.com with one L. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Cheryl. It's lovely to be here. It's great to have you. I don't, I don't feel I can really launch without just acknowledging it's, it's a heavy day for grief with the, with the um, shooting in Texas. People listen to this much later, but I'll bet everyone will know I'm, what I'm talking about for quite a while. Uh, so given that we're both in the grief world, I am always thinking about all the grievers that are created by, some, by an event like that. It's just staggering it really is staggering and I think it's so important for us to make space for the grievers and and maybe even particularly um when this episode runs later because as you know so often people are in the midst of it while the crisis is happening but the families go on and on with their grief and have a long road ahead of them that um you know can't be shortened so it's it's just um, I appreciate the opportunity to acknowledge that with you and to hold space for those families on whatever day anyone's listening with us today. If, if you Absolutely. could join us in that. Yeah. Absolutely. And as you and I both know, which of course we'll be talking about, you know, for the whole hour. Um, I lost my mic first. Oh my goodness. I keep losing my mic here. You came you came back to us. Am I back? No. Yes. All right. I can hear you right now. I'm just gonna unplug my mic and use my ears. <laughs> Hopefully there that we go. On the sound. <laughs> um, you know, as you and I both know, uh, we're talking about lifelong. Uh, I know it, my my first wife died in 1995. Um, that is still a huge impact on my life today. Not right. not uh, so much negatively anymore, but there are still moments. Yes. Mm -hmm. So let's let's talk about how you were forced into this community of grievers that you and I both belong to. Can you share your own story of loss? Well, I was uh, living my best life, as, as I like to think of it, um, at the time with my husband um, of just five years. We both came to our relationship after previous relationships ended. Um, 
and each of us brought three children to our relationship. So we had a, we, we would like to call it the crazy Brady, the crazy Brady bunch um, because we had a blended family of six and we had been working our way through blending and parenting together and uh, really just enjoying an opportunity to find a, new, a love that really was just a beautiful experience for both of us. Um, and we, one of the things that we enjoyed most was the opportunity to run and hike and ride bikes and do all kinds of sporting activities. And on August 31st, 2005, um, Phil, my husband went out for his regular Wednesday afternoon bike ride. Uh, and he was hit from behind by a car and died about 45 minutes later. I had the opportunity uh, to be called to the scene, thankfully, by a friend, his friend that was riding with him and ended up arriving before he died. But he died very shortly after our short trip to the hospital. And as you as you said, I was then thrust into um, the life of a griever, which was very foreign to me at the time. I hadn't in my life had the experience of someone close to me dying uh, in particular, not in a sudden way, but also um, only had experienced the death of one grandparent at that point. And it was after an illness, so it didn't feel out of order, um, but it never had an out of order death. I define that. I'm sure many of you heard that, that uh, phrase, but that's a death that's unexpected because it's a younger than usual person or a person who, in the, in the regular way of life, typically would die bef- uh, after you did or in a much later time. So I hadn't experienced that before and I had no idea what to do with myself. And um, I have to say, I don't think anybody around me knew what to do with me either. That's an interesting point because uh, my wife died when I was 42. I'm now 69. Um, and, I'm, and I'm, of course, witnessing many people die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, a lot more people have experienced it. So there's a higher um, percentage of people that have some skills because yeah. they've been through it themselves. Yeah. Uh, it, there, was, there were a few people who, um, my, my wife died after a, a decades long illness, mm-hmm. and which is quite a different experience, at least if you're dealing with the fact of death during that time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, consistently, she was never out of the woods or anything. So by that point, I did have friends who'd lost their partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did look to them for kind of like, well, they lived through it. I don't know how at this point, but you know, yeah. they did. And I had supported them as best I could you know, had my best friend whose partner died a year before sleep at my house for a while. And, you know, just um, that makes a huge difference. So I'm thinking of the experience. I try to transpose myself into your circumstance where it's completely out of the blue. You have absolutely no preparation for that world. It's like a totally different world. It is a totally different world, um, for sure. And yet, and and early on, I would have I would have imagined that you and I wouldn't have anything in common um, because I hadn't yet done this work, of course. And so, what I've come to realize is that 
there are absolutely specific nuances to the way your partner or spouse dies um, as it relates to how you'll grieve and, and the kind of connections that'll be valuable to you going forward. But at the same time, I believe that the hardest work for grievers is the aftermath of their person's death, which is the days where you have to figure out what to do with yourself now. And for any person who's outlived a spouse or partner, um, there are just some really common threads that run through that experience that tie us together in really unique ways, even when our experiences, our death experiences in particular, um, may not be similar. I, I definitely agree with that. I just want to add one note, which is that in doing in being in anticipatory grief for so long, uh, eventually I was like, well, I have no idea how I'll handle handle it. But I did make a bargain with myself that I like to mention on the show, which is I got everything I wanted if I could um, pay for it and get childcare. <laughs> yes, I totally support that. <laughs> and I totally and that, support that. That really, really worked. Yeah, absolutely. If my body wanted to cry, I cried. If I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, yell while the kids are at school, I did. You know, there are just so many things that gave permission to. And mm-hmm. so it made it so much easier to navigate grief for me. I, I'm yeah. not, I can't, you can't skip it. I had it. It's right. just I wasn't in a fight with it, which does really help, you know. Well, and what's interesting to me also is that um, skipping just briefly ahead into the book is that, you know, the, the book includes also the death experience of my father, um, which was a completely opposite experience of my husband. And uh, in that he was sick for quite a long time. Um, and actually really for over 20 years, we thought for sure he was going to drop dead any minute. Um, he ended out living a much, much longer time than any of us would have imagined. And also I was actively involved in his care towards the end of his life. And again, totally opposite of what um, my experience was with my husband. And so it was, it was eye-opening how much I had learned about death and grief in a sudden way that did really apply um, in, in really relevant ways, not only for myself, but for my family as we walked my dad um, through the end of his life. And so I like, I, you know, we, when you work in grief and you speak to people of all, all walks of life with all kinds of experiences, um, you get, you begin to really be able to focus sort of on those nuances that make things different. And I'll just mention here, you know, we, we can't imagine, none of us can imagine what it would be like for these families that are grieving these beautiful children, um, you know, and the teacher and all of the people who are impacted by what they've seen and lived through um, just today. So there's that piece, right? But also there is this overflowing of love and of understanding that comes from your grief experience that we just don't know how it's going to play out in our lives later. And for me, what that meant was that, you know, while my experience with Phil was so different than my experience with my dad, I was so grateful for the things that I learned that I leaned on um, in another experience. And that, as you and I said early, it doesn't take away the hideous, the horrible, the difficult, the ugly, doesn't change any of that. Doesn't make the bad thing good, but it it was something that became really clear to me as I was walking through this other grief experience. And so, 
um, though they didn't have anything to do with each other in some ways, they had everything to do with each other in other ways. It's so hard to differentiate that. I did notice towards the beginning of the COVID um, pandemic that I was doing okay. I mean, I had all my feelings and everything, but but I yeah. was I wasn't having the kind of traumatic reaction that a lot of people were, and I realized, oh, I know how to do this. You know, I know how to, to how to lose everything I had the day before and go on and yeah. take care of myself. I just know a lot more about that than a lot of people. And I think that's mm-hmm. what you're talking about. And similarly, when each of my parents were uh, having health crises at the end of their lives and then dying, uh, the way that my brother and I responded to that remarkably different and we're different people and all that but i did feel a lot of it was experience right and i wasn't afraid to be there in it you know Mm -hmm. i was like well yeah that's what i said to my family too you know because whenever there was whenever there was something that was going to have to be dealing with the death part you know they all looked at me because (laughs) they know that i'm you know that that i have a comfort level with that but it was very funny because they all would immediately and there are a lot of us there i have six siblings and my and my mom. And so every time a death conversation would come up, all heads turned towards me. Well, like, uh-huh. oh, with the death part right now, let's, let's see what Michelle has to say about it. And, you know, I mean, in some ways, right. I feel like with grief, if we can't laugh a little, and if we can't find lighthearted pieces of it, then, you know, we, we lose our minds in the midst of this. And so there were moments of laughter and moments of levity as, as I became like the grief expert, but at the same time, to your point, each of us process in, in our own unique ways. And so while there are these, these common threads and these over, overarching um, themes in our grief work, there's also just the uniqueness of our own pain, our own relationship with the person who died, the horror of whatever the experience is, you know, everything from suicide and homicide, you know, fire deaths, like all of these things that come with their own unique nuances And at the end of it all, you know, what I find is so important to recognize is that we cannot help but be changed by what we've lived through and that allowing ourselves the space to explore what those changes might mean for us as we create a life after the death of the person that we love, um, it, it frees up sometimes the restrictions that we put on ourselves um, as, as in a, in a unique way. And I, I think that that, that's such a, a unique and powerful conversation. It's interesting what you're saying, because about the bulk of my work is with grief and people almost always start out with, when will I get back to normal? And yeah, exactly. Right. Right. The first thing. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I do ask right off the bat, what is normal to you? You know, because sometimes it's just showing up for work or something, Right. (laughs) you know, mostly people mean feeling like I used to feel being who I used to be. And I have to say, I have to be honest and say you won't, but you may not always regret it. Right. That's a beautiful way to say it. I, you know, I always tell people, you know, I, I hope you'll make space to get to know the new person that you're becoming because uh, there is a lot of potential and beauty there. And so often what I, I feel like as a, especially in the US, one of the things that we, the one of the ways that we set grievers up 
um, you know, to struggle is by this expectation that the people around you often use language like, well, I'm looking forward to when you're back to normal or, you know, when are you going to be like the person that I, I expect you to be? When are you going to be more like yourself? When am I going to recognize you? And so that, that gives this implication that the person we are in our grief is less than, is broken in ways that are negative. Um, and of course we're broken. We're broken by, you know, the experience of grieving someone who we haven't been able to process the fact, the impermanence of life, the fact that they are not physically present anymore, um, let alone all the other things that come with it. But it is that sense that we set ourselves up for failure if our intention is to return to a version of ourselves that was exactly the same as when our person was alive. And, and so then, of course, we don't like the new person because we've now already identified them as a failure because they can't go back to being who they right. used to be. And so now we're judging harshly this brand new person who hasn't even had an opportunity to figure out who they are yet. <laughs> Right. Hopefully most of us wouldn't do that with young children, right? As they're discovering who they are. We, we might right. be maddened at times, but we're not going to think they should be something else. They just are what they are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that's, you know, maybe people can, can uh, resonate with it from that level. Oh, people have to discover who they are. If you're brand new, um, there, there's, there needs to be time for that. Mm-hmm. Um and and one one advantage i you know there are there are untraumatic deaths my wife's death was not traumatic yeah. uh she yeah. just was ill for a long time lived way longer than anyone expected and then her body quit that mm-hmm. was a simple fact and um she definitely lived as long as we as she possibly could right that yeah. is different i think than than, for instance, your experience, because you've got the loss and you've also got the trauma to deal with. Exactly right. Yeah, I agree. Somewhat. I think that also did have an interesting impact on my grief that I I didn't have to deal with a trauma. Mm -hmm. The actual experience was pretty beautiful, you know, community and I would love that for you. I'm so glad that that's, that that was true for you. Um, And especially because we don't all, you know, because it's true that we don't all get that and that the nuance that's related to trauma, you know, definitely changes the way you process. But maybe not. uh, She was still gone. I didn't have a co-parent anymore, you know? Oh yeah. (laughs) The losses were still the loss. Yep. It's just that I didn't also have to deal with that. Exactly right. <laughs> that makes sense. Let's take a break and come back and talk more about that, and especially about um, this process you outline in your book. And listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find more about Michelle Neff Fernandez and her work, you can go to michelleneffernandez.com. It's M-I-C-H-E-L-E-N-E-F-F-H-E-R. N-A-N-D-E-Z.com. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. 
Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice of America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Michelle Neff Hernandez about her book, Different After You. And Michelle, one thing I appreciated about your book is that you obviously recognize that there's not some linear progression of grief. And yet, as we both know, there is, it's completely different for me, you know, 26 years later than it was the first year or the fifth year, you know, there is sort of, there's no progression on a given day, but over time there kind of is. And I wonder if you could talk, because it seemed to me you had a sort of progressive approach to the steps in a process of creating a new you and accepting a new you that also incorporated on any given day that might be evident or not. Can you talk some about the process as you see it? Yeah. And I also, I want to kind of clarify that, you know, in the book, the the steps through which I lead the readers are intended to discover a new person that you're becoming. So they are not steps for grieving specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's important because as you said, this linear process is is not true for grief i think we've all many so so many of us have come to understand what you know the stages of grief were really intended for and all of those things um but this process that i that i made my own way through and witnessed in so many other widowed people 
is about acknowledging that we've been changed by what we've lived through. And that's that's really the first step. And so the first, and this process is intended for the person who is grieving, you know, or finds, and in particular finds themselves living through something that changed their lives, changed everything about everything. And they have to figure out who they are afterwards. And so for me, that includes people who have lived through a divorce, people who have lived through a life-altering experience of a different kind. Um, and that's why the book is applicable in those situations, because it's not specifically about grief. But it is true for me, for all grievers, that we have to figure out who we are in the aftermath of the death of our person. And that first step for for this process is acknowledging that, that I am different. Because for as long as we continue to insist that we want to go back to the person we used to be, and therefore the record is place for that, we have to come to that understanding on our own. And it has to be a deep understanding. Because if we're just giving lip service to that idea, while still secretly working really hard to go back to who we used to be, then we're not yet ready for the next step of the process. The first step is to acknowledge that you're different. And that doesn't mean 100% different, doesn't mean you'll never recognize yourself in any way. It just means there are some fundamental differences that have to be acknowledged. Um, and then we get the opportunity after acknowledgement to grieve. And when I speak about grieving in the book, it's about not only the grief experience of the grieving a person, but it's about grieving the person we used to be. And, you know, the life we used to have and the things that are no longer going to be possible because the person who died, died. And also, I, I'm very intent, and I don't think you'd disagree, that what we talk about as grief, a person dying who's important to us, that's not the sum total of grief. Grief is anything that is different from what we want, basically. Yeah, uh, from the tiny things to the big things, I, I realized, and this may sound odd, but I realized that the experience of coming out at a young age, mm -hmm. I was 17, substantially grew my skills about accepting an unpreferable reality. It didn't, it didn't remain unpreferable. I want to be mm -hmm. clear about that. But right. at first it was like, oh, no, right? And mm -hmm. everyone... Uh, my family's reaction, lots of people's reactions were, you know, go back to the way you were, right? So yes. I do think that was a grief event, even though the, Absolutely. the fact of being a lesbian wasn't bad, but the loss of a former identity was hard. Mm -hmm. so, well, and it speaks and perfectly. It does speak perfectly, Cheryl, to all of the steps in the book. Because it is about the, the acknowledgement that something significant has changed and what our job is once we've recognized that. And like you said, you get the opportunity, you know, to grieve a, a, a life that isn't going to be. It's going to be different. It's going to look different. And when we, we get that, when we give ourselves that space, then we can prepare for what's next. And those are, you know, discovery pieces, inventorying, you know, what matters to us. And as you speak about your experience of coming out, you know, then in this life, what's going to matter to me? What things are going to be important? Exploring those, imagining a different life, mm -hmm. and then really, you know, reclaiming yourself in this new space, whatever that is for you, before owning and stepping fully into this new version of yourself. 
And, and that applies really generally to anyone who has experienced something that makes them think I'm just not the same person. Um, I had a, I had a person at a book signing recently tell me that she's widowed and she read the book from her widowed perspective and left at her mom's house. Well, her mom picked up the book in the, with the idea that she'd like to know more about her daughter and, and learn more about her experience and started reading it. And she said to her daughter, you would have, you would be so surprised to discover that the car accident that I was in when I was 20, that totally changed my mobility. She said so much of this book was exactly what I had to do to make my way through that experience. And I was, I was so happy to hear two things. One, that, that, that my intention of writing this book for anyone who's been altered by something difficult, but you know, of course my experience starting with grief, but any other kind of trauma that it resonated for someone with a very different trauma, but also that these two people who had very different traumas could learn to see something and learn something new about each other and themselves in the sharing of understanding differently what they each have had to live through. Absolutely. You know, I, I've been quoting a lot lately. I don't know why it's particularly been on my mind. Um, the best definition of grief that anyone ever shared with me, which, which is grief is the distance between what you want to be true and what's true. Mm, I love that. So that's pretty, I, yeah. uh, you know, right away when I came back to work, I was already a therapist, but right away when I came back to work after my wife died, I was a different therapist and mm-hmm. all, all of my work was through a grief lens, no matter what people were coming to me for, <laughs> um, because yeah. it's always in there. You know, despite with what's true and and an inability to recreate, right? Because therapy is about change. So there's always the loss of the way it was before. Absolutely. I think it's so funny to me is that it's ironic that we struggle so much in U.S. culture with grief when grief is a part of every, you know, of every change of every, like you said, if if we aren't where we want to be and there's distance to go. Um, there's a grief element included in that. And so I feel sometimes like our illiteracy with grief is what negatively impacts our ability to truly create lives of meaning because we have to first allow that grief space, um, you know, a place. Yes. And, and allow it to remake us, not, not to just feel sad only. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Allow it to impact us and, and, uh, change us. Uh, A man named Bill Hayes wrote a book and a friend said to him when his partner died, uh, grief will change you, let it. That pretty much Uh sums it up because we can't know exactly where it's going to go and we can't predict exactly the form it's going to take. I loved one example in your book of how you changed, but, but resisted it at first. Um, The, the biking that you had biked with then he died in a bike accident, but you felt like you had to get on back on the horse when when biking had never you didn't do it because you loved it that much. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's so true. Just just coming to terms with I don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit for me anymore. It's not a matter of having to, you know, protect my pride or something. Right. Well, and right. That was really what what I needed to figure out for myself. And I felt so strongly. And this is, again, an example of the sense of getting back to yourself, right? 
everyone around me, I had been riding bikes for years, but what no one really knew or maybe even recognized was that I had been riding bikes with Phil for years. I didn't really like it that much. I did, I liked riding with him. I liked riding with the people we rode with. I liked being a part of the group, but it was rarely my choice to say, oh, I know, let's go for a ride. That would often be, he would ask me if I'd want to go and I'd be happy to go with him. But after he died, this same group of people who <clears throat> had been a part of my life all of this time were like, okay, but when are you going to you know, when are you going to ride again? Because in their mind, if I wasn't able to ride again, I lost a piece of myself that they thought was valuable. Um, and so I struggled with not wanting them to be disappointed in me. I, I struggled mm-hmm. with feeling like if I didn't ride my bike, then grief won. Um, but the truth was underneath all of that, I never liked it in the first place. And so when I finally made myself get on the bike and hated every minute of it, I thought, why am I, why am I torturing myself like this? Aren't I, aren't I so know why I'm not? <laughs> yes. And I, and I really knew that in part it was because I wanted to be able to answer yes. When someone said, oh, your husband died in a cycling accident. Do you still ride your bike? I wanted to be able to say yes, because I had convinced myself that there was a value in that. And that I needed to be able to represent in that way. And it, it was the one bike ride that I took that convinced me that all I really was doing was torturing myself and that it didn't matter to anyone really if I rode. And if it did, then they were going to have to get used to the me that doesn't ride because I don't like it. And I never really liked it in the first place. So I'm sure that for some people who are a more distant part of my life that reading that part of the book was probably surprising, but um, it became really true for me. And I needed to be able to accept that truth without telling my new self, oh, well, you're not that great because you can't ride a bike. I chose not to ride a bike because I don't like to, not because I can't, but because I don't want to. And it was okay to not want to. And this new version of me needed to find a way for that to be okay and not to be looked upon as a negative or a less than circumstance. You know, I'm, I'm certain that you've encountered the, the view of resilience that's like strong like bull. Uh, nothing stops you. Yeah, you know, right. sort of oak tree. <laughs> I don't really like that at all. I, the way I experience resilience is, is adaptive. Um, you know, supple, um, being able to make new decisions in the face of new experiences, you know, and that's a perfect example. Riding a bike wasn't, wasn't it for you anymore. And you could feel that and you listened, you didn't participate in, uh, an, uh, you know, pride goeth before the fall or. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I did for a little bit. I have, to, I have to confess that there was a time when I certainly did do that. But I, but I, what I realized was just that I was torturing myself. Mm. And so it was in, in some part and not even a small part, it was in large part self-preservation initially. And, and I judged myself harshly for it for some time until I realized that again, I was torturing myself, this time mentally torturing myself. And, and each time someone would ask me the question, because they asked me a lot, I heard it so many times. So are you still writing? 
whenever I said no, I felt like I, you know, wanted to say it behind my hand and turn my head. So maybe, you maybe failed them somehow. <laughs> yes, I did. And I had to, it took me some time to figure out that, that it wasn't a less than situation and that my new version of myself, it was okay if she didn't want to ride a bike. And that needed to be true for me in order for me to respect the self that I was becoming, because I think that's where the challenge lies. When we view our newborn selves into this different life that we didn't ask for often, that when we come to that place and we think to ourselves, oh, but, you know, you're not as good as that person, the respect level continues to decline and decline until we don't take good care of ourselves because there's no self-respect and we don't offer ourselves the things that would help us grow and change and evolve because of a lack of self-respect. And so when I realized that my thinking was negatively impacting my ability to respect the new self I was becoming, that's when I was like, oh, wait a minute, this, this can't continue like this. I need to find a way to rework the narrative here. It's ironic to me because uh, some of the things that grew in me uh, after law, well, after those 10 years and after loss, um, really are substantially improved. Um, for instance, I'm just, I wouldn't be able to qualify myself as an anxious person now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just not anxious like I used to be. I never could have done something like this uh, as that former self. I was too shy. I was too social phobic, you know, <laughs> etc. I mean, all kinds of things got doable because I'd faced the worst fear. And so, you know, talking publicly after that didn't seem as big, right? So right. we don't uh, always, I mean, I, I concentrate effort on, on acknowledging to myself what's different and better in me. Yeah. Um, not as a result of, of her dying, but as a result of my work. Exactly right. I think that's the key point also, because so oftentimes, especially in the early days of grief, anything that seems positive that comes with this horrible experience can be difficult to accept because somehow it feels like making the bad thing good. And um, I like to just always clarify, you know, the the thing you've lived through is just as hard as you think it is. And you also may be a version of yourself that is amazing after I think society reinforces that, which you mentioned in the book as well, that um, you'd hear uh, something like, look what came out of Phil's death. Yeah. Right. Or something. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, instead of, wow, you've really navigated your grief successfully. The the link is um, death improvement. No. <laughs> yes, exactly right. I made a whole paragraph of no's in response mm-hmm. to that, mm-hmm. that thought. Mm-hmm. But we do, we are vulnerable to that line of thinking because it's so common, uh, you know, where people at a funeral will say, um, you'll be better for this or yeah. very- You'll get another husband, don't you worry. Right, that's exactly. What, that's what I was told very early. Like, it's going to be fine, honey. You're going to get another husband. You'll mm-hmm. love again. Yes. <laughs> no. Like, oh, speak to me about that. 
No, my my first wife actually spoke to me about that, and I was really pissed off before oh, she. I bet <laughs> I can imagine. You're like, well, don't you be talking about that? But right? later, it was helpful, right? It's yes. timing is everything. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> go to another break, and and uh, we'll come back and talk some more. Listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com. That's my website or the Good Grief Host page, and to find Michelle Neff Hernandez, go to michelleneffhernandez.com. Back after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Michelle Neff Hernandez about her book, Different After You. But Michelle, in this last segment, I'd also like to talk about things that I get the impression led there. Your um, uh, camp widow and soaring spirits, um, because, you know, when, when you create something out of grief, which, which is what you did, I get the impression at first you were just having conversations with a whole bunch of widows, but ultimately that was so helpful that you created Camp Widow. Is that, do I have that correct? That's exactly right. That's a great summary. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, 
I, I feel there's an evolutionary quality to the lives people lead after a big loss. Like it's mm. kind of breadcrumbs on the on the path or something. Uh, yeah. You probably couldn't have thought I'm going to start a camp for widows, right? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I am. I was as surprised as everyone else. Right. Exactly. I mean, uh, never did I think I'd have a radio show, you know, that, mm-hmm. or a podcast. No, no way. But that's that's the evolutionary quality I'm talking about. At the same time, you still do those things now with this book to share it with people who do not attend the camps and don't interact with your your website but can you talk about those things a little because having available resources i think particularly for widows uh it's a huge portion of the population right it is (laughs) 1.1 million widowed people in the u.s each and every year and some years more than others and right one yeah and 2020 exactly um so many newly created widows as a result of COVID and the, and the subsidiary um, deaths that also rose during that period. So could you talk about what those um, resources are like for people and what you've learned doing them for a long time? Yeah, for sure. Our, our purpose, um, Asaurian Spirits International is the name of the organization that I started, um, as we said, you know, kind of in the aftermath of having spoken to a lot of widowed people trying to figure out what to do with myself. That was really the driving thing. And then the more people I met and the more I realized how changed I was by being in community, I really just felt this powerful draw towards the idea of helping other widowed people connect with each other. And so Soaring Spirits serves any person who has experienced the death of a spouse or partner um, so we are, we use the most inclusive definition of the word widow um, that I know of. And the intention there is to help people rebuild their lives in the presence of a community that have experienced um, this, the death of a spouse or partner as well. And so Camp Widow is our flagship program. And that program was just sort of born out of my desire again to have all of these people together and um i kind of imagined it as the a blend between a conference a retreat and a high school reunion um (laughs) because it really we, we we have elements of all of those things because i wanted it to be light for there to be lightness for there to be the the possibility of joy and for people to not have to outgrow the program as they personally evolved um, because one of the things we know is that being building resilience um, can include making meaning out of the experience you've lived. And Camp Widow gives people the opportunity not only to attend as a widowed person, but also to come back as a volunteer and a presenter, um, an ambassador. We have a lot of different roles for people to come back and make meaning from their own experience by sharing that with other people. So that that is just one of the in-person programs that Soaring Spirits offers. And it's the most unique. And it's the one people often say, Camp what? Why would anybody want to go to something called Camp Widow? Uh, Until they are, right? (laughs) Yeah. And whenever I open the event, I always tell them that, you know, I know that somebody said to you, for real, why would you want to go to that? 
Um, but it's because you find your people. And in, in that understanding and in that sense of community, you find yourself lighter than you were before you got there. Um, I think most people come with the expectation they might feel heavier, but really it's this sense of freedom in being understood um, and not having to explain some of the nuances of widowed life that are inexplicable until you live them yourself. Um, so Camp Widow is one of our programs. We also offer a full complement of virtual programs partly developed during the pandemic, others that were already existing, but um, you know, were, were reinforced when we realized we had to figure out a way to serve during pandemic when there were so many people who were hurting, um, both because there were person died of COVID and also a person who died during COVID and whose death experience was altered in ways that could not be predicted because it was during pandemic. Um, so we also do a, a offer consistently a group for newly widowed people. I say this because, as you said, no matter if our listeners are widowed themselves um, or not, they will certainly know somebody who is either today or in the future. And mm-hmm. having a resource to give to people who are hurting in that way is such a beautiful gift to the person who is not widowed. Because how often have you witnessed someone else's pain and thought to yourself, I wish I could do something? Yes. Knowing about resources that are valuable for people who are widowed is such a wonderful way to be able to say, I heard this podcast um, on you know, a radio show. I thought that it, I thought of you. I think this might be something that could be valuable for you. And what we offer people is always a peer support community with research-based programs that are going to be designed to help people build resilience through the widowed experience. So important. And I have to just, um, you know, personally, uh, from my, my own view, appreciate um, the uh, expanding the definition of widow. I almost, I almost wrote a book. I, I'd have to change the title, title now because uh, my community can, in fact, get married. When I was thinking mm-hmm. of the title, uh, we couldn't. And the book was going to be called Almost a Widow. Oh, yeah. Um, so that does add a, add a layer when you're unrecognized in uh, in the level of relationship. I've I've heard that from people, for instance, who were fiancés instead of yep. and girlfriend instead of. Uh, and actually, there's some specially difficult parts of that, like never getting to uh, enact the life you dream together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other piece of it, I think, is that. Um, you know, we've learned so much from our our various groups of people who are asked the question, like, well, am I widowed? You know, it always just breaks my heart because they, they for whatever reason, have not been recognized. And um, for, for our LGBTQ plus community, one of the things I think we, we saw early on was how, how many people were not recognized by their family and friends, by you know other community members as widowed themselves. And when we we offered them a place to be recognized as widowed, you know, just that first step of coming to Camp Widow and being able to put a name tag on that says widowed and owning that was so powerful. Um, and now we've added a, a whole track of workshops to each of our camp events specifically for the queer community because 
there are so many nuances to the experience um, and and ways in which um, their grief has been disenfranchised that we we honor that by recognizing it specifically in in a unique way through this track of workshops designed by other LGBTQ plus widowed people. That's so, so vital because the person themselves will hesitate to come or to claim Mm -hmm. themselves that way unless there's a specific acknowledgement. Yep, for sure. You can't know if the space is safe or not. I mean, I would try anyway, because I'm just like that. But (laughs) (laughs) Well, lucky for us, those are the people, people like you who would try just because are the people who taught me the most as we were building this program about what we needed to do to ensure you can't just say inclusive. You have to be able to show people that they are represented here by the presentations, by the type of workshops, by making sure that it is called out very specifically specifically what your definition of a widowed person is so that, because even then, even when we did do that, we still have people who call and say, are you sure? You know? So, um, such a level of fear. And I'm, I'm guessing that is probably nuanced in terms of age group. Um, mm-hmm, for there's, sure. there's a wonderful film called Jen silent about, um, kind of the first generation of of openly gay people who still didn't feel comfortable being out everywhere, right? right. And went right. into um, hospice situations and stuff without being able to name that. It's uh, a big uh, issue. <laughs> we won't get to it really now, but, but I'm yeah, really... And and in other ways too, for instance, I'm, I'm working with a family now that's Indian, East mm-hmm. Indian. And just the the idea that they will not, people won't get it, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I say every second session, I'm not going to get this, but I will listen, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we can't, we can't know, but we can invite, right? Absolutely. And I think it's so important for us to make space for that and for us to, and, and I think in particular, when it comes to grief, if we are a person who has grieved and we're supporting someone else who's grieving, it's so easy to make assumptions about how this person might be processing when really, you know, there is this uniqueness to the experience at the same time as there is the universality. And so if we can hold space for learning from each other, what we need and how best we can support each other, that's, that's the, that's the sweet spot for, for support is, you know, being able to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to listen. Yes. And also just, um, you know, that whole idea of why would you want to go listen to other people's grief? This um, is the point that if you're in deep grief, you can't get out of it anyway. I mean, probably in the first little while, most people do not want to go talk to anybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah. as soon as you get the impulse, it's probably helpful. Don't you find? I do think so. And I think it, it can be frightening. Like, to, to feel like, oh gosh, I'm going to be immersed in everyone else's stories. But what I think you quickly discover is that the give and take of understanding is so powerful and the relief that there are some things you don't even need to finish your sentence because they're like, yes, before you've even gotten it out, that, that you end up with taking away a gift that you couldn't predict. And it, it requires the courage to try first. Um, but being able to be in community with people who have lived a similar experience 
whatever it is, whether it's grief or any other experience, um, typically is just is such a gift. The other thing that that I'm aware of is if you're if I'm with another widow, for instance, my good friend whose wife died a year before mine, uh, we've never been reduced to just that. <laughs> yes. yes, we've always been whole people to each other because we yes. both know that we were many things before and after, most of which changed, but we were still whole people. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's such a relief to be with people who can see you in a broader way than just your grief, too. The other part of it, too, is that you end up when you come to these relationships and have friendships in who at this deep time that you end up living life together. That's yeah. what you do. And, so you begin and with grief, but to, you come into life. We have to leave it there for today because we're out of time. Right. Thanks so much for being with me. And I so hope good to be here. I hope people will go to michellenefhernandez.com to find out more and sign up for all your stuff. <laughs> Next week, I'll have Judy Lipson. Her grief over the deaths of two sisters was on the back burner for 30 years until she realized that she needed to grieve them. This led not only to grieving them, but also celebrating them with an animal, annual ice skating fundraiser. <laughs> This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.